Hello everybody, I'm Matt Mikuchi and you are listening to Jazzy's Travel. Everybody, Jazz's online editor Matt Mikuchi here, welcoming you to a new episode of Jazz's Travel. This is a podcast series that explores jazz and creative music in all four corners of the globe, touching on cross-cultural projects, different music traditions, and more through conversations with or about groundbreaking, innovative, and visionary artists. 2022 marks the year of the 60th anniversary of the release of Jazz Samba, the landmark 1962 album by Charlie Bird and Stan Getz that launched Bossa Nova to international stardom. And the internationally acclaimed guitarist Nate Najjar pays homage to the spirit and iconic repertoire of Jazz Samba with his very own Jazz Samba Pra Sempre, a loving reimagining of this seminal album navigating the tracklist with equal parts reverence and invention. And here to talk with us about this new project, the legacy of the original record and the influence of Bossa Nova at large is Nate Najjar himself. So without further ado, fire up on Audio Teeny and listen to the audio waves as they fly through the air. Here is our conversation with Nate Najjar. Hello, Nate. Welcome to Jazz's Travel. Hi, Matt. Good to be here with you. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's great to have you here on our a little podcast series. And uh, well, first of all, what part of the world are you speaking to us from right now? I'm in St. Petersburg, Florida right now. I'm in, I'm in right. downtown St. Petersburg, Florida, looking over the buildings in downtown. It's really kind of uh, beautiful. It's not quite as good as Rio, but only mm. just. <laughs> well, Rio, you know, there's not many places that are as beautiful as Rio. I actually have never been to Rio, but Brazil tops the list of countries that I would love to visit. And uh, that could be any part of Brazil, <laughs> as a matter of fact. And a large part of that is because of the amazing music that, of course, is part of the Brazilian 
canon, let's say. And so it's really great to get to talk with you, Nate, today, because we will be talking about an amazing new project that you will have coming out in the next few uh, weeks uh, from the time of recording this podcast, of course. We'll be talking about Jazz Samba Pra Sempre, uh, your upcoming album, a celebration of the iconic 1962 album Jazz Samba by Charlie Bird and Stan Getz. Uh, Nate, for anyone unfamiliar with this record, why would you say that this is such an important album? Well, you know, the bossa nova, the this this sound of uh, of Brazil, this sort of uh, modified samba sound that became a popular music form. Um, this bossa nova really got such a worldwide attention in the '60s, and uh, and it stayed for a very long time. And it's it's now it's kind of just part of the the canon of music. This 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 sound. And uh, it got its diaspora from this jazz samba record. It was uh, it's it's really just such a such an important work in the story of the spread of this repertoire and this sound. And the most fascinating part is that it's a jazz record that got the start. It wasn't a singer's record. It wasn't. Uh, um, although in a way it was a singer's record because the, the Joao Gilberto's record Chega de Sodagem in 1959, it was really the uh, artistic impetus for Charlie Bird to make Jazz Samba. Um, but Jazz Samba, 1962, Desafinado, you know, Stan Getz was the right partner to be on it. And it, it won a Grammy. It got a lot of attention. Uh, there was some, this is sort of a, um, like a folk story but uh and i don't i heard it from a drummer but i don't recall where he attributed it and i think he attributed it i think it was charlie who told him and i think it came from creed taylor the producer but somebody had suggested somebody in the industry had suggested that the presence of the cowbell made the record so made desfinado so popular because it cuts through on the jukeboxes you could really hear it. and so it always it always cut through and you always heard it and that rhythm was sort of incessant and insidious you know mm-hmm. uh, which i get a kick out of you know i mean when we're mixing music these days you know and you've got little percussion elements like cowbells or uh, gogos or shakers and things because people because we listen on phones so much you have to make sure you don't make them too loud because on a phone it's going to speak so much louder there's, there's no bottom. There's nothing below about 500 hertz on a phone. So it comes out so much louder on the phone. And every time I'm doing something with the percussion and I worry, oh, the shaker's too loud or the cowbell's too loud or the tamborino, the pandero, or something that's supposed to be like a rhythmic element that you feel. I always go back to jazz samba and I think about, yeah, but the cowbell's the reason it was a hit. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's that's... kind of a cute. So, but anyway, it's just, it's, it's an important record because it, really brought attention to this music and it as a result the music spread around the world uh lots of people picked it up and said let me do something with that rhythm let me do something with that repertoire and uh you know Getz went on to make a number of uh more iconic bossa nova records uh thanks to the association Joao Gilberto, Antonio Carlos Jobim, Astrugi Gilberto they all uh managed to have a real presence on the world's stage um, Astrugi is a really interesting uh, story because she um, 
she did not enjoy much success in Brazil at the time. And yet she was a massive worldwide star everywhere else. Um, and, uh, you know, the, these days, obviously I wasn't around back then. These days, uh, the Brazilian community seems to be pretty exalting of Brazilians who are doing the Brazilian thing outside of Brazil because there's, you know, there's a lot of pride in the culture. And I think that's a wonderful thing. But, you know, this it all started with jazz samba. Mm. So lucky us. And from a guitarist standpoint, what are some of the groundbreaking characteristic traits that Bossa Nova introduced or helped introduce? You know, it's, it's brilliant because, you know, me as a guy who likes to play a nylon string guitar, you know, a guitar with the um, play it with your fingers sort of you know, along the lines of the classical uh, thing. The um, the music is just so suited. It's because it's the instrument that they play. You know, in North America, we play steel string guitars and we strum an open C chord, and um, you know, it's similar in other other parts of the sort of English diaspora. But uh, you know, they the the guitars they use in Brazil are the same guitars that you know that I like to play. These Spanish guitars and the and um, old world guitars, I'll call them. But it's interesting because uh, you know, samba was around for a number of years. I'll tell you, samba has a lot in common with New Orleans jazz. That sounds kind of funny at first, but the way the samba schools came up and the uh, in Carnival, they would have these the, the parades and the, the samba school, it's like a so, social organization. It's probably a, the best way to describe it. And, you know, they work all year on their, on the presentation, on the float and the parade and the show and the, and it's just, it's so similar. It's, it's, it's almost the same thing as like what happens in Mardi Gras. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the Samba schools, they, and they'd all have, everyone would have a new song for Carnival every year. And so Samba is a rhythmic thing and it's a, it's a cultural phenomenon. It's a way of life. And it's, and what's really hip about it is that Joao Gilberto wasn't the first to do it, but he was the first to really kind of perfect it. And what he did is he took the sound of samba, which is a number of different percussion instruments. And these are, you know, the samba schools to this day, uh, you know, they don't, they don't go out and buy their instruments. You know, they need, they, if you think about it, um, if you've ever, if you've ever seen a video of carnival in, in Brazil, if you ever seen, you know, with the girls with the feathers and the floats and all the dancing and the, there's, you know, four or 500 drummers, in each samba school, you know these are these are people from the favelas. These are these are you know low income, extremely low income people. They make their own drums. This mm. isn't like you're going to the music. You're not going to Guitar Center or or something and buying five hundred hepinkis. You know they make them out of oil cans. They make them out of whatever they can make them. And uh, uh, we, we've seen places where they make them. It's really it's really hip how they do it. So the samba schools they make their own drums. But there's there's a tamborin, there's the cuica. The cuica goes, right, yeah. You know, there's uh, there's agogo bells. There's all these different. And what happens is the instruments all play a different part, and you end up with this kind of potpourri of rhythm. It's 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 indescribable. We've we've been to we've been to a samba school rehearsal, and just the the sheer majesty 
of the the 500 drummers. I'll send you a, I'll send you a little video of a of a of a samba school rehearsal. It is uh, maybe you can post it too. Even it's so just the majesty of the drums, the the uh, visceral effect of how it all comes together. It's like you're on a magic carpet. Yeah, that's the best way to describe it. So going back to the guitar, which was your original question, <laughs> um, Joao Gilberto managed to take all of this from samba and distill it all these different parts though the sword all these different sounds and put it into the guitar and do it in a very delicate and thoughtful way yeah. and so you know what comes what you hear on the street etc turns into something like And there it is, you know, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, this just new language just completely opened up. So this is rhythmically, right? And then harmonically, harmonically, you know, these are, this is the first half of the 20th century. So this is kind of before pop music becomes a commercialized pop music thing. And so people write songs in the old songwriting traditions and so harmonically, there's a lot of uh, European language. Um, uh, Bach, it's a, basically, the songwriting tradition harmonically and melodically is not very different from, from our songwriting tradition, our Cole Porters, our Gershwins, our uh, uh, Adi Bojozo, uh wrote that the famous tune, Brazil, da 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 um, he's one of Brazil's greatest composers. That songwriting tradition is not much different from like an Irving Berlin in terms of the harmony and the melody. And, but then you marry it to these African rhythms and uh, you have a recipe for magic. Yeah, yeah. It's an incredible coming together of cultures. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's the perfect coming together of cultures uh, because the other thing about it that I see is that Nothing tries to dominate anything else. Hmm. There's no intention of making anything other than what it is. The whole point of it is to exalt what it is and just combine it, all these things that we love, into one perfect thing. So it's really, it's really hip. O pato vinha cantando alegremente, quen, quen, quando o marreco sorridente pediu para entrar também no samba, o samba, o samba. track you are hearing just now is Opato, one of two tracks on Nate Najjar's new record to feature Daniela Soledade on vocals. 
Jazz Samba Pra Siempre will be released on the 17th of June and it's Najar's tribute to the seminal 1962 Charlie Bird and Stan Getz album Jazz Samba, which celebrates its 60th anniversary this very year. And without further ado, let's get back to our conversation with Nate Najar. What's your first memory or do you have a first memory of encountering this particular album? Do you even remember where you were when you first heard it and all of those little details? I, well, I was a big uh, fan of Charlie Bird when I had started playing the guitar. I, I discovered right. Charlie and so I went out and I picked up everything of his I could possibly get a hold of. Um, it, to me, it was unique because he was a guy who played. I was interested in jazz mm. and he played jazz but he played on a classical guitar in a very, with a very warm sound. And it, it sounded like a whole orchestra, you know, he'd play a tune and I didn't miss anybody. And it wasn't like a piano doing what a piano does. It was the, you know, the guitar is such a poetic instrument. So I was just crazy about Charlie and I went, I got everything, you know, I was probably 18 when I heard jazz samba for the first time. And I had I had a couple of Charlie records. What's interesting is I had a Brazilian record that he had made after Jazz Samba came out, and it's called um, Bossa Nova Pelos Pasaros, which is Bossa Nova by the Birds. You know, it's a play on words. It's really cute, and um, and it's all little vignettes. They're all short tunes. There's not much jazz improvisation. It's mostly arrangements, and it's Charlie's trio plus. Other, you know, there's some woodwinds and some brass and vibraphone and stuff and extra percussion playing a lot of this repertoire. Right. That was the first Charlie Bird Brazilian record I had heard. And then the next one I got was Jazz Samba. Mm. And uh, the first thing I remember about Jazz Samba was, you know, you turn it on and those first notes are Keter Best playing. You know, it's a. And all of a sudden, from the very first note, a world has opened up to you. There's this aesthetic world that that record, good, bad, or indifferent, inhabits its own space. And that's one of the things that really turned me on about records in the first place when I discovered that. And I think all the greatest, I mean, you think about you know jazz fans and all the great Rudy Van Gelder records. You know, they have a sound. You know, this isn't a Van Gelder record. A guy named Ed Green, who ended up to work in TV much later, he re- he recorded jazz samba in um, Pierce Hall at the All Souls Unitarian Church in Washington, D.C. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, it was a three-hour session. They set up. Charlie had the arrangements. They worked it out. The guy set up the microphones. They played. They listened to the playback. They said, okay, great. See you at the gig. And that was <laughs> the end of that. And it became, you know, a worldwide sensation. But the... Yeah. First thing is just this aesthetic, this worldview that happened. And then the other thing, which I find so fascinating, and it's something that I've really, I've really sort of paid attention to in my, in my career, in my, in my music making, is that the entire record simmers. Even when it gets hot, it gets hot in a very, it's, it's, I'm not using the right language for it. It gets hot in a very cool way. It's just the whole thing. It's like if it were a funk record, 
it'd be the funkiest thing you ever heard because it just it's even and it goes and it, it's once again it's like a magic carpet because it's got this it's not flat it doesn't sit still it's uh, but at the same time it never beats you over the head it doesn't assault you it's not aggressive all it does is invite you and draw you in and say i'm warm and i'm full of love and everything that's great in the world and i want you to be a part of it and i just think that's so hip that the entire record does that and it reminds me of prince you know prince used to talk all the time about uh you know i mean come on nobody was funkier than prince and he would always say, if you want it to be funky, you know, if he's talking about playing like a part, you know, like you got a Telecaster or something. You know? you know, something like that or whatever. He, Prince would always say, if you want it to be funky, don't mess with the part. Let it go, play it, and leave it the same. Don't change it. Because it's this sort of, this the fact that it's not moving, you're just con constantly building up tension with no release. And it's just so funky because you're waiting for that thing to happen. That's not going to happen. And, you know, that's maturity and control. Uh, there, you know, there's a lot of great, you know, like R and B type records that have, um, that, uh, that understand and uh, utilize that aesthetic concept. Uh, but Jazz Samba has it, and it's, you know, so you put it on, and you just go, here we go. Mm. You know, so when, I, so when I made our Jazz Samba, you know, I wanted to keep the aesthetic. It's like an ephemeral bubble. You know, the, re the record inhabits its own world, and it invites you in to, to, to be a part of it. I wanted to keep that aspect, and I wanted to keep the, the things about Jazz Samba that, you know, for instance, we played Desfedado and it starts off, doom, doop, 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 doop. it's like, here we go, we're, we're ready for this, we know what's gonna happen. Um, so I put enough familiarity in there while at the same time, you know, really making the record about how I relate to these songs and how yeah. I relate to the repertoire. Right, well then let's talk about uh, the, the, the group that you assembled for this project. I know Chuck Red. Uh, is uh, is one of the musicians on this record, and uh, he was once a part of the Charlie Bird Trio. You know, it's the great thing about Chuck. Ch Chuck's been putting up with me for nearly twenty years. I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> see him next week. Actually, we're <laughs> playing in we're, we're playing at the uh, West Texas Jazz Party. I'm gonna see him next week. I haven't seen him in a few months. It'll be really it'll be really nice to to get on stage with him again. Um, he's been putting up with me for nearly twenty years, and the really funny part is, you know, I was a kid. He's about, uh, he's a little more than 20 years older than I am. And uh, so I was a kid and I had these Charlie Bird records. And, you know, there's a 21-year-old drummer on the Charlie Bird records. And to me, Chuck Red was always the kid who played with Charlie Bird. Yeah. So, you know, I finagled my way into a gig at Blues Alley, which is an iconic, iconic jazz club in Washington, D.C., in Georgetown. Charlie Bird played there forever. Uh, everyone and their brother has played there. It's an iconic major jazz venue. And about 2004 or so, somehow I, I, I conned my way into a gig. And the, and the best thing I did is, you know, I called Chuck Red and I basically said, I'm a kid. I work, you know, I, I try to be like Charlie Bird. This is what I like to do. Would you play drums with me? I got a gig at Blues Alley. And of course he's thinking, oh, Blues Alley hired him. Sure, I'll play with you. You know, he can't be that bad if he's working in Blues Alley. 
and uh, so he played the gig with me and uh you know he uh, i haven't stopped calling him since so you know we've become good friends we've been all over together we've had a real ball doing lots of things and so of course you know it, oh and and chuck's played on a lot of records with me we did um I did a couple records for Candid. I did a couple of records for Woodward Avenue with the, and, um, and Chuck's on many of them. Uh, but, um, it, he's the natural choice on a record like this, obviously, you know, he's, he was the drummer in the Charlie Bird trio. There was, there was never a question of anyone else to include. It was just simply, Hey, Chuck, we're making jazz samba next year. When are you available? So I can make it happen, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's and, great. uh, yeah, and then you know Herman Bernie's the bass player, and I love Herman because he's just a force of nature. Herman plays joyfully. Herman is connected to the source. He's connected to the universe, and he he plays with joy and with love and with intention. And he's got a great beat and a great sound, and. And he's playing Keter's bass. So that bass, when you put on my jazz samba record and you're doop, 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 those notes are the, on the same bass that Keter played on the original jazz samba. Yeah, I'd read about that and I was particularly intrigued about this fact because uh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty hip. And Herman, I've known Herman uh, a little over a decade. Uh, there's a number of gigs that we've been on together. And so he was, he was a very, very natural, you know, I, I was talking to him about doing this record for a few years. Hey, Herman, we're going to make jazz samba. You in? Yeah, of course. Okay, great. So when we finally got to doing it, it was really special. But uh, so Patrick Bettison plays Fender Rhodes on the, on the record. And Patrick is, he lives here in town. Uh, he's English. He's from Yorkshire, actually. Uh, the, I, I, I like, I like Yorkshiremen. I've got a, 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 a Yorkshire drummer who lives in London, who's made a few records with me and we've traveled around the world a lot. And I really, uh, I like Yorkshiremen, but, uh, so Patrick is, uh, he's a multi-instrumentalist and, um, you know, it's really funny back in the nineties, he played bass and acoustic alchemy. And the really funny part about that is I dep in acoustic alchemy for the last couple of years. I'm doing a, I've got a tour with them this summer. Uh, I, I fill in for Greg Carmichael. So we've got that connection, which is interesting. Mm. But uh, Patrick's like our, um, he lives in town here and he plays in, in our, our band. He tours with, with me and, and my wife, Daniela. And uh, so, you know, we just, we include him everywhere. And I thought it was a nice touch to put the roads on jazz samba because it's the original record. Charlie's brother, Joe, plays guitar. There's two guitars on the original jazz samba. Uh, and actually on a couple of spots, there's two basses because Joe was also a great bass player. And so he plays Arco on some spots where Keter's playing pizzicato, you know, for arrangements. Uh, yeah. And so I thought rather than adding another, I, I almost put another guitar. I, I talked to Daniela, maybe Daniela would play guitar on and I thought maybe having Phil Fest, my good friend Phil Fest play guitar, um, the son of the great Brazilian piano player Manfredo Fest. And then I said, you know what? I'm going to put the roads on it. I like the sound. I like the blend. I'm going to let's do that. So I asked Patrick to participate. And then having the electric piano gives it a more, it gives it more of a relatable sound to a contemporary audience. And um, it gave the record a kind of really neat aesthetic. Hmm. And then the pièce de résistance of the whole thing was the inclusion of Daniela on two songs because the original jazz samba has no vocals. Um, 
and uh, I'm just, you know, I'm, I love her. I'm, I'm enamored with her. I am, I think she's the greatest thing since Wonder Bread. I think, well, she, <laughs> uh, frankly, she's much better than Wonder Bread because Wonder Bread has no nutrition. But you I know, what, know I mean? what it is. <laughs> uh, well, no, well, they, you know, they say the best thing since sliced bread. You know, <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, I, I just, you know, she's, uh, I, I think Danielle is just a remarkable talent yeah. and the aesthetic and the thing that it's unique and it's special and it's delicious and it's, it's all the things that we love about music. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I tried to craft a little world for her on her tunes. You know, I tried to craft a little, a little, bu- an ephemeral bubble, so to speak. So, you know, I, 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 I Matt, I got to tell you, this this particular record is. I don't usually get excited about things I do. You know, you make it and you go. I did the best I could. I hope it came off the way it was supposed to. And this record, we finished it, and I said, "Wow, I can't. Be- that is so. This it's just so much more than the sum of its parts. It was. Right. It really was a labor of love, and I'm astonished." at how cool it turned out right after everybody came together and contributed i'm astonished at how cool it turned out and you know i'm over the moon if i if i died tomorrow uh, if i died tomorrow and nobody heard the record uh i'll have died knowing i did what i was supposed to do you know what i mean well, well i that, that's not gonna happen because at least one person right here heard it so <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you for that. <laughs> One person heard it. It's not out yet, so that, there you go. But uh, but uh, so I take it using a term that you used earlier. You feel like your record, your personal version of jazz samba, simmers. I I, I do feel like it simmers, and uh, and that was an intention, and I hope it comes across that way. Absolutely, absolutely, Nate. It certainly does. And uh, Nate, it was an it was such a pleasure talking with you. Thank you very much for joining us and talking with us on Jazz Is Travel. Matt, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm delighted to be here and I'm grateful for the invitation. hope you enjoyed our conversation with Nate Nejar. His new album, Jazz Samba Pra Sempre, will be released on the 17th of June. And I also hope you will join me again next week for more 
globetrotting conversations on a new episode of Jazz Is Travel. And in the meantime, why not check out more of our content on jazzis.com and get even more exclusive content when you subscribe. Till the next time, this is Matt Mikuchi signing off. See you soon. Thank you.